The Athletic. Good morning. Welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Wednesday the 6th of December. I'm Tim Spears and on today's show... Rice rescues Arsenal in a thrilling fight back against Luton. It's Rice! Oh, it's brilliant! Why were some media banned from Manchester United? These stories then led into the genuine questioning about his his methods at United. And Team GB failed to qualify for the Olympics despite a 6-0 win for England. There's a lot of shoulda, coulda, wouldas. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Tim Spears. First to Kenilworth Road, where we were treated to a seven-goal thriller. It's Ross Barkley! And Luton Town lead Arsenal! Gabriel Jesus, here's Havertz! Arsenal back level! It's back to Odegaard. It's Rice! Oh, it's brilliant! Final score at Kenilworth Road. Luton Town three, Arsenal four. Yes, that was Declan Rice scoring the winner in stoppage time to snatch all three points for Arsenal against Luton. The Hatters improbably had come from 2-1 down to go 3-2 up against the leaders when Ross Barkley scored in the 55th minute, partly thanks to some questionable goalkeeping from David Raya. But Rob Edwards' team couldn't hold on for a famous win and the Gunners eventually showed their title credentials, even if they did leave it to the 97th minute. There watching it all happen at Kenilworth Road was our Arsenal writer, James McNicholas. James, an unexpected thriller for you. How do you sum that one up? This was a really uncharacteristic performance for Arsenal this season. Their game has been kind of typified by control and not letting the opposition have much of a chance. Their force was littered with defensive errors. They conceded three goals. But to their credit, they once again found a way to win. Declan Rice with a stoppage time winner for the second time this season after the Manchester United game a few months ago now. Yeah, it's a fantastic night for Arsenal and Mikel Arteta, but plenty for them to look at in the next few days in terms of improvement before a daunting-looking trip to Villa Park. Did it hark back to some of those sort of dramatic last-minute winners from last season? I think it did. I think this was uh, the kind of performance that, yeah, was more characteristic of this team last season. They've really improved in that respect in terms of being more controlled, more composed, but this was not one of those nights. And it had the atmosphere of a cup tie, and it had that kind of chaotic energy that a cup tie can bring to give Arsenal their due. When it came to the crunch, when it came to those final few moments, they did have that composure to not just sling it into the box, to take their time, to find the right cross, to find the right man in Declan Rice. And he delivered a big three points for Arsenal, celebrated harshly by Mikel Arteta, although it did cost him a booking and the suspension for the next league game. We certainly didn't expect Luton to score three goals. What was that down to? Did they play well above themselves in this sort of cup tie atmosphere or were, were Arsenal sloppy defensively? I think Arsenal was sloppy. I mean, Luton are quite strong on set pieces. Arsenal tried to counter that by picking four very tall defenders, kind of Man City-esque four centre-back situation. Well, it didn't particularly help them. Their marking wasn't good enough. David Rye was also at fault for two of the goals. Mikel Arteta would be very relieved that Arsenal got the win and he didn't have to face a barrage of questions about his goalkeeping situation all over again. They're five points clear now ahead of the Wednesday night fixtures. Do you feel momentum sort of building and belief building? Well, undeniably. I mean, Arsenal have now played 15 games, are clear at the top of the table. A lot of fuss was made over them when they were top at Christmas last year. But of course, 
due to the World Cup, they'd only played 14 games at that time. And crucially, they'd not yet played Man City. They have played Man City this season. They have beaten Man City this season. So I think they're in a very healthy position indeed. I suppose the difference made from last season is not just City chasing them, it's Liverpool as well. So it's showing that it could be quite an exciting title race this season. Elsewhere on Tuesday night, Wolves beat Burnley 1-0 to move up to 12th in the table. Quang Hee Chan was the goal scorer. No surprise there, as it was his 8th of the season. We'll look ahead to tonight's Premier League action shortly, but first to Glasgow and a remarkable night in the Women's Nations League and therefore the Olympics. England needed to beat Scotland by three goals more than the Netherlands beat Belgium by to top the group and therefore qualify for next summer's Olympics in Paris. If you think that's confusing, it gets even more eyebrow-raising when you add in that England, as the nominated home nation, needed to top the group for Team GB i.e. England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland combined, to qualify for the Olympics. And they were playing Scotland, some of whose players would have benefited from the loss. Yep, I know. England did the job, winning 6-0 against the hapless Scots. Lucy Bronze scoring the Lionesses' sixth and final goal moments after the Netherlands went 3-0 up, meaning that England and therefore Team GB had done the job and were booking their Eurostar tickets. But then five minutes into stoppage time in the Netherlands, this happened. Leugde met de bal voor. De kopbal. En ja! Ja! Weer Egorola. 4-0. En nu kan het niet meer fout. Vivian Miedemar came on as a sub and scored a header to put her team top of the table into the Nations League semi-final and through to the Olympics, breaking Team GB hearts. Charlotte Harper watched all the drama unfold at Hamden Park and she joins us now. Charlotte, can you describe the moment when news came through of that fourth goal from the Netherlands? Shock, confusion. England finished their game 6-0 and didn't celebrate, got into a huddle. There was a member of the technical staff holding a phone up. Uh, You could see Lauren Hemp looking at the score. And as soon as that Netherlands goal went in, Lucy Bronze just fell to her knees. And real disappointment, such a sucker punch I mean unbelievable that the Netherlands scored I think in the 91st and 95th minute crazy 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 scenes I think I can imagine the answer to this but what's what's the mood like if you spoke to people after the game in like the England and Scotland camps I spoke to Frank Kirby and Neve Charles in the mix zone understandably really disappointed you know for women's football the Olympics is a big thing it's taken seriously it's considered a major tournament the best are there and someone like Fran Kirby who's been an Olympian before knows what a special experience that is. I don't think I've ever seen Serena Wiegmann so speechless. That's what she said during the huddle that she didn't really have the words to describe it and I think this would hurt her pride quite a bit. It's the, the biggest disappointment of her managerial career. I mean it hadn't been a great group stage from England. They'd obviously lost away to Belgium and the Netherlands and left it pretty late at the weekend against the Dutch Arguably, they would have sort of snuck in through the back door here. Was this a fair result that they didn't go through, even though it's so harsh with the nature of it in the last minute? England's performances were subpar, and that has been the case since the World Cup. There's a lot of shoulda, coulda, wouldas, but Wiegmann has said, you know, the the camps have been good. The performances at times have been of decent value. It's just those one or two moments where it was very poor decision-making and those errors have cost them very, very dearly. There's no silver lining or good news here, but I guess they've got a free summer, which might be beneficial for some players in terms of fitness and injuries and rehabilitation after, what, World Cup and Euros and 
the postponed Tokyo Olympics back to back to back? Absolutely. There is an argument that three consecutive tournaments is a lot for the players, but that's just not Wiegmann or the players' mentality. You want to be at the biggest tournaments. It's, it's massive FOMO, especially when the US will be there, Colombia, Canada, the top European nations. You want to be part of that conversation. So, yes, you can have some rest, but the players will be bitterly, bitterly disappointed not to be at Paris in 2024. Thanks, Charlotte. And you can get more reactions to this result over on Full Time Europe, our dedicated women's football podcast, when it's out later today. You're listening to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. Tonight's Premier League action sees six matches headlined by the fixture at Old Trafford as Manchester United take on Chelsea. United will be desperate for three points after losing to Newcastle at the weekend, while Mauricio Pochettino's Blues could rise to eighth if they win away at United for the first time since 2013, which was that long ago that Rafa Benitez and Sir Alex Ferguson were the managers that day. Man United correspondent Laurie Whitwell is here to preview the game, but first, Laurie, quite an interesting story emanated from Tuesday's pre-match press conference about the press in that journalists from some media outlets including Sky were banned from attending the press conference. Can you explain what's happened? The point of it comes from stories about Eric Ten Hag's tenure and about Manchester United and the sense that there are players that have lost faith in his abilities and the issue that United had with it and Eric Ten Hag in particular because he was actually asked about this in the press conference and gave a, a quite robust answer to it was that the reports hadn't gone to United first to check them or at least to kind of give them a right of reply and now United feel that this is important to add context and, and, and check things really as well. Are these stories correct in, in their entirety? But I think that the fact that they've actually taken the step to ban reporters from the press conference is quite a major one. It's only a small thing, I suppose, in one way because it's over in one day. But the kind of focus that it generated was then quite strong. And I think it probably sends a message a little bit about how they want to deal with the media, but also sort of gives an impression of the mood around the place. Well, you've not been banned, Laurie, not yet anyway. So you were at the press conference and he had some interesting things to say about relationships with players. Obviously, this has come under the microscope a lot this season with players like Jaden Sancho and Harry Maguire. What did he have to say about that? Those are the questions that are going around. You know, I've heard them myself about his style. Do players really warm to him? Does he give the arm on the shoulder when he needs to, perhaps? Or is he, you know, his approach, this is how it should be done. I'm a disciplinarian. I need to instill rules into this squad that has been unruly for you know, a significant length of time. But th- those are the questions that are going to come back because United are losing games and, and there's uh, a fragmentation to some of their performances. Ten Hag insisted that he does have a good relationship with his players. He said that he does have an open door policy. He has discussions with them individually as a group, team talks. He says that nobody's ever come to him and taken issue with his tactics or his approach. He said maybe one or two, but not the majority. So I think that was kind of interesting though, that he did accept that you know a couple of people had voiced discontent or or kind of disagreement maybe but clearly when you take such a strong stance with a player like Jadon Sancho and before that you know Cristiano Ronaldo and and Harry Maguire that whole situation as you said in the summer David De Gea you know there's certain instances where he has had perhaps strong responses to players and and over time if you're not winning matches that that might then feed into other people's perceptions of you as a manager. And obviously, amid it all, Laurie, there's a game against Chelsea at Old Trafford on Wednesday night. Two big clubs who can't really get their act together. What are you looking for from United in this one? 
I mean, I think they just have to win. I think they're at a stage now where performances are out the window, um, necessarily. I mean, they've kind of been that way all season, really. But a victory would, again, just ease the pressure a little bit. A good performance would do so even more. But I think, you know, Tenag's in the situation right now where results are absolutely everything. As you say, they're up against a Chelsea team that is chaotic, to say the least. This could be anything, couldn't it? But I feel like when United have had their backs against the wall and needed a result under Ten Hag, they've usually produced it. So that would probably be where my gut is going right now. One of the other standout fixtures on Wednesday night sees Liverpool travel to Yorkshire to take on Chris Wilder's Sheffield United. Wilder was installed as Blaze boss on Tuesday after Paul Heckingbottom became the first Premier League manager to be sacked this season. And the game of the night may well end up being at Villa Park, where a Rodri and Jack Grealish-less Manchester City will aim to put an end to three straight draws in the Premier League when they face Unai Emery's Aston Villa. You can watch these games and more on Amazon Prime Video in the UK and Peacock in the US. Just before you go, seeing as it's December, let me help you out with your Christmas shopping. Right now, you can give someone a year-long athletic subscription for the cheap, cheap price of £20 or dollars for the whole 12 months. That's over 70% off. So head to theathletic.com slash briefing for more info. And that's all for today's briefing. Thank you for listening. I've been Tim Spears. Your producers were Abby Patterson and Mike Zimmerman. And executive producer was Ian McIntosh. Michael Bailey will be with you tomorrow. In the meantime, have a great day. The Athletic.